This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we've packed a number of shows together to give you some highlights. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Thank you for being with us today. Our guest is Jay Scott. And a lot of you have probably heard of Jay Scott, and he is a big contributor to Bigger Pockets, and he has written many books about the real estate business and industry and negotiating, and he is an expert in many facets of real estate. I'm so pleased to have him as a guest on the show. He's someone that I just enjoy learning a lot from. He built an amazing single-family rental business and flipping business. He wrote the book on flipping houses. But recently, he has transitioned into multifamily syndication. And so I encourage you to think about that and listen to this show, who he is. He's an entrepreneur, an investor, an advisor. Uh, over the past 12 years, he's bought, rehab, sold, lended, and held over $70 million in properties. He has an advisory role in numerous companies. I know you are going to enjoy the show. He goes in depth in what he feels is happening in the economy, what he expects over the next six to 12 months as well. Jay, welcome to the show. I've seen you around for a few years now. Jay and I were joking before the show. I said it took me over a thousand shows to get him on the show. He's well known in our industry and it's in real estate, just an expert in many facets of real estate. So Jay, pleasure to have you on. Give us a little more though, maybe about you know your path to where you're at now in the syndication business. And then I want to dive in there a little bit. Absolutely. And thanks for having me, Whitney. I've been a big fan of your show for a long time. I've been following you for a long time as well. So thank you. So I started in real estate back in 2008. I was a tech corporate guy for a long time. I did mergers and acquisition and some product stuff uh, for some big companies like Microsoft and eBay. And 2008, my wife and I decided to get married. We didn't want to work the 150-hour weeks anymore in the tech world out in Silicon Valley. So we left the tech world. We left the corporate world. We kind of fell into real estate. I've talked about my story a number of times, so I won't rehash it here. But we just kind of accidentally fell into real estate, and we fell into single-family flipping. Over the next 10 years through pretty much 2016, 17, we did pretty much everything in the single family world. We did construction, we did flipping, we did rentals, we did notes, lending, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Back in about 2018, for various reasons, which I'm happy to talk about, decided to switch my focus to multifamily. And so there was somebody in the multifamily world, a woman named Ashley Wilson, who I had been friends with for several years. She and her husband were doing a lot of multifamily investing. And I basically, since I knew her well and she seemed to be killing it, I asked her if she would help me out, teach me the business and show me the ropes. She was very kind, took me under her wing for about two years now. She's been teaching me the business and we've started doing deals together and we've now officially partnered looking to grow and scale the business. So I'm relatively new to multifamily, only about two years now. We basically took down our first deal last year and hopefully pretty close to our second one now. But she has about 800 units. I have 150 units and just looking to make my mark in multifamily, hopefully like I was able to do in single family with a lot of hard work and a lot of study and taking my lumps. No, that's awesome. I appreciate you elaborating there. But, you know, in case the listener you know, hasn't heard of Jay, which they probably have, I hope they have anyway. I mean, Jay built an amazing business around single family homes, wrote the book on flipping houses. I mean, just an expert, no doubt about it, built an amazing business there. So Jay, would you just elaborate, like why move from that business model in real estate, you know, something you had obviously spent many years on and very successful at to moving into the syndication business now? Well, I'll be honest, the very first 
reason, and probably the biggest reason I started thinking about multifamily was after 10 years in single family, I had amassed some cash. And I was looking to deploy that cash. And it was very difficult in the single family world back in 2018, as it is now, to deploy large amounts of cash. It's, it's hard to find deals. And so I sat down in 2018. I said, I've got this cash. Real estate is my preferred vehicle for investment. I know real estate. I understand real estate. Nothing against the stock market, but I'm just not a stock market guy. I like the control over my investments. I invested with a couple syndicators, operators as an LP, a limited partner, and nothing wrong with that. I enjoy that, but I'm a control freak. So I said to myself, how can I deploy large amounts of capital where I actually have control? And what I realized was operating syndications myself would allow me one to maintain the control, but putting money in on the LP side as a GP would also allow me to deploy my capital. So I originally considered getting into multifamily. And the reason I originally got into multifamily was because I was looking for a place to put my own capital. So that was how it started. Then I started looking at just the economic indicators. Did I think multifamily was poised to do well over the next few years? Obviously, multifamily did well between 2012, 13, 14, and that point, 2018. And at the time, I don't want to say that I was skeptical. But I was on the fence and I said, look, I'm going to give this a year or two. I'm going to track the, the economic indicators. I'm going to look at the data and I'm going to see if I really think that multifamily is poised to do well over the next five to 10 years, because that's typical duration of these projects. I was hoping if I can pick up four or five or 10 projects over the next couple of years, I'd be in the space for five to 10 years. So I started tracking the data. Obviously, then COVID came along. And COVID kind of changed everything. And so I kind of had to do a reset last year, probably right around this time. And what I realized is that regardless of where I thought multifamily might be headed a year or two ago, I'm now very, very confident that multifamily is a great asset class, a great vehicle to be investing in right now. And there are a number of reasons for that. First of all, you just look at interest rates. Interest rates are at historic lows. A lot of people think interest rates may be going up over the next few years. Fed just announced this is, we're recording this in late June. The Fed just announced a couple of days ago that they think we'll probably see one, one and a quarter point rise in interest rates over the next two to three years by the end of 2024. If you're a multifamily person, you're probably thinking, yeah, that's not really good for us. But think about why interest rates go up. Typically, the Fed raises interest rates to curtail inflation. When we have inflation, when the price of things are going up, the Fed's going to raise interest rates, just going to kind of slow the economy down. Well, that means if the Fed's raising interest rates, that means we likely have inflation. So what does that mean for us as multifamily investors? Well, if we have inflation, that probably means that, big thing, rents are likely going up. So if rents are going up more than the average, that can often offset the increase in cap rates. That can offset the increase in interest rates. We see asset values going up, so we'll probably see compressed cap rates. So yeah, I know the biggest thing people talk about in multifamily right now is what happens if interest rates rise. But to me, that's a good indicator because that means we have inflation. And that means we're going to make up the loss from higher interest rates in other areas due to inflation, rent and asset and compressed cap rates. And the other thing is, I've always been a tremendously conservative investor. I won't do a ton of deals. But from my perspective, if you underwrite deals more conservatively, if you think interest rates are going up, if you think cap rates are going to expand a little bit, be more conservative in your underwriting. Instead of assuming 10 basis point increase in cap rates every year, assume 15 basis point 
increasing cap rates every year. If you're conservative, you're going to find deals and you're going to do well. Personally, I just really like multifamily. The other thing is, I mean, there's been talk over the last few weeks of a 5 million unit housing shortage in the U.S. So everybody's wondering why housing is doing so well. Well, we haven't built much since 2008. There's been underdevelopment since 2008. So there's a shortage of housing units. So multifamily is a pretty safe place these days. But where do investors flee when they start to get concerned about interest rates or inflation or other asset classes? They flee to safety. So investors are going to flee to multifamily. And when investors flee to multifamily, we're likely to see more cap rate compression. We're likely to see higher growth. So all in all, I just think multifamily is a pretty safe place to be over the next five to 10 years. I don't have a crystal ball, but all signs point to multifamily being a great vehicle. No, I appreciate you elaborating on all those points there and just, you know, single family to multifamily. And I just think you can speak to that individual that says, you know what, I can just go over here and do my own thing in single family and do just as good. But I would like to ask you that question. And I'd love to move on to, you know, just more about what you see in the economy and interest rates. Some of that, I think that's a very popular topic and things people are wanting to know about. Well, I get the question often. It's like, well, Whitney, why wouldn't I just go do my own thing over here in single family? I think I can, you know, just keep buying enough single family homes. Why would I invest in syndication instead of doing that? I just wondered your thoughts around that because I'm sure you get that question also. Yeah, for me, it's economies of scale. Nothing wrong with single family. I like single family. I still invest in single family. I own dozens of single family rentals. I'm buying single family now. But for me, I love the economies of scale in multifamily. And I also love the fact that with single family, you're at the whims of the market. So the values of single family are going to go up and down based on the values of other single family in your area. Whereas with multifamily, you're still at the whims of the market to some extent. You're at the whims of cap rates and you're at the whims of interest rates. But for a large part of the success in multifamily, it's going to be driven by your ability to carry out a business plan. Can you raise the income? Can you lower the expenses? Multifamily is much more like a business than single family. Single family is very much an investment, but multifamily is in a business. I'm a business guy. The reason I've been good at real estate is not because I know how to swing a hammer or know how to manage contractors. I know how to run a business. And for me, businesses are all the same. Your goal is to get the net operating income or the net income, whatever it is in your asset class, up as high as possible. So you're looking to raise income. You're looking to make things more efficient and lower expenses. And so I feel like I have a lot more control over multifamily because I'm controlling the business plan than I do in single family, where it's essentially buy and then wait for values to go up, hopefully. Sterling, welcome back. You're an expert in, again, man, 150, you know, single family homes pivoting, right? In a big way, you know, you scaled that and that definitely didn't happen without a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication to make that happen. I know very few people who have that many single family homes, right? I, I mean, they've built amazing business, even local. And I mean, local to me here that I know are like, man, they're the single family guy. I mean, they know this city, like the back of their hand, you know, they have 150 single family homes scattered all over. But man, you pivoted then and said, you know what? I think I, I have a better path, but I want to jump into that. And maybe you can help us think through some things to consider when deciding whether that investor or whether they should invest in single family or multifamily. It's a question I get often. I'm sure you do as well. So help us think through that. Yeah, I'd say, I wouldn't call it double-edged sword, but I'd pull from both ends that if I were to go do it all over again, because this is a common question I get too, is would you still start with single family? Yes, because it was a lower barrier of entry and 
I was able to get my foot in the door and then the snowball effect I was able to get from that. And then I was able to use a lot of that single family experience, especially at that scale, was significantly easier when it came to to multifamily. So that's what I would say. But then it just comes down to your goals and where you're wanting to go. Because someone could easily be, let's say, 5, 10, or even 15 properties, just single families, and be financially free. So that's another thing is on the side of you're wanting to have a more scalable model from that and you're doing syndications, then that's something to consider is whether single family is the right thing to do, especially if you're doing self-managing. That's when you would actually more consider or look into the option of multifamily. Yes. I know there's so many things that are, you know, like personal things you got to figure out, right? What are your goals? Where, where are you trying to go? I think often, man, it's just assumed that you have to start with single families. I mean, do you feel like you might be almost have to start that way? Not necessarily, but thing that can be daunting for most people. I'm trying to think at the, the time is when I started the single family is what my mindset was, or I don't even know if I consider uh, investing in multifamily at that time, but just saying that it could be pretty daunting to purchase multiple units at once. So that's could be why I wouldn't say recommend, but the single family side is just from a mental standpoint that it's just one unit there, you buy that. And then let's say you buy the, the next and then you from there, okay, now I'm starting to get more comfortable. I understand the model. It's less risk because if you go to 10 units, for instance, that's 10 different residents now that you have on your plate. So that could be daunting to someone versus just one resident. You get familiarized and then you start to grow from there and say, okay, this is simple. I understand it. It's not as difficult as I thought. Okay, now I could be able to start to go to larger deals. Awesome. I speak to like why multifamily? Why invest? in multifamily and not just stay at single family? I would say, why not uh, multifamily for everyone? Whitney, you're, you're in a space of you're familiar with why, but it's just the amount of transactions. So 110, 120 transactions from the single family side in order to get to about the 150 uh, single families and then bought as of uh, recent 156 unit apartment complex, which was just one transaction, all 150 units in one location. So there's that. So that's what I would say is the, the biggest benefit uh, from those two is really just the scalability and then also the economies uh, of scale. And then I would say the return on time, your ROI on the time is better as well. I think that's something so many forget about, right? Is the time that it's going to take. They think, oh, wait a minute, you know, why invest in this deal when I can go do that myself, right? Well, you might be able to do it yourself, but man, if you count all the time spent, I mean, the time you spent finding those 150 units, 150 single family homes, right? I mean, there was so much time invested in that versus finding this one transaction, which still took a lot of time. It's still probably a lot less than finding 150 single family homes, right? To find that 150 unit uh, apartment building. And that's another belief and a fear, of course, but it goes full circle that I also had to remove is the value of time. And one of the things I've learned, and it took so long for me to hear it, it was Grant Cardone that said this, he would say rich people buy time. And for the longest time, I did not get that. But this was one point where I was at the uh, amusement park. It was Kings Island. And uh, I was with my little brother because I'm a part of it was uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters where I actually get back my time and mentor someone who's actually in the environment that I uh, ended up growing up in. And so I was there with my friend and business partner, uh, Jacob, and he had his little brother. And I say, hey, let's go ahead and get fast passes. Trust me, we'll need those. He's like, uh, I don't know. I said, just get it. So when we're there, park first opens up and the fast passes didn't really matter as much because there's not many people at the park. But then as the day starts to 
to progress. The favorite ride, the top rides were about two hours long for the general admission. But us for the fast passes, it was just 10 to 15 minutes. And then that's when it really just sank. Okay, that is the value of buying time and just time in itself is yet. That's one story I want to share with people when it comes to that. That's a neat analogy to think through that as well. You could spend a little more money on that ticket and you gained a ton of time back. Yeah, we're better able to utilize that day as well. Neat statement there. So return on the time, you know, I had this call or this investor called me one time and he said, I'll never forget he and his wife were on, were on the phone and they had they had owned the single family home for a number of years. Uh, I would say six or eight years, but just the timing in the market, they sell it, they make 350000 on this one single family home, right? Uh, because of what's happened in the market. Uh, and so during the call, they're like, well, why wouldn't I just go do that again? And I said, well, how many of those can you find? Do you have the time to go find more single family homes? And guess what? You bought that how many years ago, right? That's probably not going to happen over the next three or five years, maybe. I don't know. It might, but uh, but either way, do you have the time to go find those deals? Do you have the time to manage those deals? Do you have the time to take the tenant calls? It's just like we forget about that, right? Well, no, I can go do it myself and save all the time or save all the money. You know, uh, you don't really think through the time invested. So what about transitioning from single family to multifamily? It's so common that somebody does start, you know, with a single family home or small multifamily, uh, you know, but especially a single family home and moving into multifamily. Any thoughts on, you know, transitioning from one to the other, whether it's the mindset, whether it's the skill sets needed, uh, or even the team needed, you know, let's walk through some of that. Yeah, that's a, well, luckily had the single family experience at that scale. So was able to build a property management company to manage that many single families. So the transition wasn't too difficult to that very first uh, deal of uh, 46 units. It was actually easier to manage that than all the others. Uh, But it did come down to different skill set in underwriting the deals and understanding how they're exactly uh, valued because a single family, as an example, is, okay, that sold across the street for this, this sold across the street for this. It's comparable property to this. It's also three bedroom, one bath, such as mine with the detached garage. But on multifamily, as you're looking at cap rates, okay, based upon the net operating income, okay, this is the cap rates of properties that have recently traded in this area. Okay, now you can reverse engineer to determine what the value of the property is, which is entirely different from the the single family side. So I would say that those differences and then also the the channels. So was doing some off market on the single family, but did a mix of on market too. Uh, So it was a mix of on market and off market. But then when with the multifamily side, it was just strictly off market because this was in 2017 where the market was really starting to heat up, was going through brokers, and it was just not penciling out and even close to penciling out. So, okay, took a step back. Why not beat the brokers to the punch and actually go direct? Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you beat them with the punch and go directly? Incredible. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the value and how we value multifamily, single family. I think that's a common, uh, just misunderstood, right? When you're first starting to think about doing a bigger deal. Speak to cap rates a little bit. What does that mean? Or how would you explain that more on a basic level? What a cap rate is, maybe how we use that just a little bit without getting extremely technical uh, at this moment. Without getting too much into the technical, side of things. It's just, in essence, a way to value the property. So as an example, I don't have my calculator on me, but if the ROI, I don't know if you're able to pull this up, but if the ROI, not the ROI, but NOI on the property is, let's say $300,000, then you would take that, I believe you, let's say the cap rate is 5%, then you would divide it by 0.05. And then that's how you can reverse engineer and determine what the actual purchase price is. So that's how you would, in essence, uh, look at the cap rate. Okay. 
So that's six million. Yes, there we go. So in essence, that's how you would look at that. Yeah, so that cap rate can change things so quickly, right? Yeah, and that also comes into to play is that when you're valuing the one, what you can purchase the property, but also forecasting in the future, okay, what I believe I can sell this property for. And this is the slippery slope that we've been going into in the most recent years is that people have been believing, uh, which has been the case, cap rates have steadily been compressing. But do now, especially at the time we're shooting this, do you still want to bank on cap rates still compressing, especially with the rising interest rates and some uncertainty in the future? But then you have some people that are still buying deals based upon that, which is fine. But then you just have to protect your downside that, okay, if cap rates don't keep compressing, let's say you're buying it today at a six cap and you're going to say in the future, I believe I can sell it for a four and a half, five cap. And that is your conservative model. That could be a little bit slippery, but if that is your aggressive model and it still works on a conservative level at, let's say, five cap or five and a half cap, then there we go. So that's why I would say how that facts into on the multifamily side. Yeah, there's a lot to think about there. And let's say the 300,000 NOI, let's just talk about like, say, a value add. We all hear that term, right? Value add all the time. What might be a typical amount that we're trying to raise the NOI to? Are we like 20,000, 25,000, 50,000? What do you think uh, would be a good number, just a ballpark to throw in here to so the listener can help think through what we're talking about? And this is comes to the, the technical side when it comes to the math, where this is out of my not having the strength on this, but I would say let's increase it 50,000. Okay, so 50,000. So is that 300,000 at a five cap? That's 6 million. So if we put 350,000 at a five cap, all of a sudden the value is 7 million. Uh, and so I just think it's like, it's valuable for the listener to hear, wow, you know, if I can increase the income, right? That's how commercial real estate's valued, right? If we, there's, we see value there that, hey, this previous seller did not capture, we can go in and capture that value by putting in better operations, right? Lowering expenses and whatever it may be. It may be a dog park or it may be covered parking or it may be some kind of trash pickup, it, all these things, right? Or just better units so we can, you know, raise the rent to market rent like those things, but a million dollars difference. And that's not adjusting the cap rate, right, at all. Uh, but then I, I wanted to go back. So 300,000 at a five cap, let's say the, you know, it goes to a four cap over the time that you have the project, but we've not increased the income at all. It's 300,000, goes from a five cap to a four. All of a sudden it went from 6 million to seven and a half million. There you go. Right, so that's why we have to know some of those things about the market we're in, right? Without getting extremely technical there. Yeah, and this is the other question that also comes up is where do you get that information on cap rates? And it's one experience, which doesn't help for people when they ask that question as well. Okay, I don't have the experience, but the second is from brokers. And you just ask them, okay, well, and just doing uh, research, but also having conversations with brokers and seeing, okay, what are properties trading for? And then seeing how they previously were over the years and then how they are now. And then you can see a trend and then you just have to make educated guess. Because even when we're forecasting in the future, we'll say, okay, we think cap rates are going to keep compressing or maybe they don't keep compressing. It's a guess based upon because who knows what's going to happen in the future. I mean, maybe some operators out there know. I know I don't know. So you're just making that as you get guess in the, the future. But then you're also just protecting your downside in the situation that doesn't end up pending out in the future. And that's the uncertainty that we're facing in today's market uh, when it comes to forecasting deals in the future, because there's so much uncertainty. That's what's going on. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I just like that example, right? Thinking through how we can increase the value or what cap rates do to the value of the project. So people can think through like your example, even that you use, you 
you have that single family or even a duplex, right? It's their, the value is based on the comparable properties. You raise the rent 20 bucks. Well, guess what? That's 20 bucks more in income, right? You know, and the value doesn't really change based on that, right? They're going to still be looking at comparable properties versus if you have at 150 units and you raise each unit by 20, $25, right? It's such a bigger difference. Exactly. And it also varies on your buyer on the, the single family side. So if you have an investor coming in, they'll look at it as more of that. But oftentimes the incoming investor of your property isn't as of that sophistication. So they'll also still be looking at it more as, okay, this sold across the uh, street for this, this sold across the for this. But however, on multifamily, it's strictly looked at, okay, these are the numbers because it is a business in itself. Even though single family, that also is the same in a way, but still multifamily is more predominantly look at that because those are the types of buyers that are actually buying those type of assets. Awesome. Sterling, anything else you want to leave us with before, when, when someone is thinking through single family versus multifamily that the listeners should be considering before we have to close this segment out? No, this just goes back to your goals is that just figuring out where you wish to be. And then from there is you can reverse engineer, okay, I want to just be in single family. I want to be in multifamily. Or if you're looking for a more scalable model, then single family may not be the best bet. Uh, and then consider looking at multifamily. But if you're someone that is a little bit trigger shy or not as confident uh, with actually, and you're working towards your first deal, then that could be, okay, starting with single family. Then you start to get momentum and the snowball effect. Then you build that confidence and then can shift to multifamily. So there's a lot of variables that go into that. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 